This week's podcast is brought to you by Facial Roots. It doesn't matter if you're chopping wood or just watching Netflix. Our men's product will make you look good no matter what you're doing. All of our products are made right here in Canada. They're vegan, biodegradable, and they're never tested on animals. Being manly is more than just looking and smelling good. It's about doing what's right. Stay tuned for the official release. Hey, what's going on? In uh, today's podcast, I sit down with Pastor Al Deshaino. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. A pastor. Uh, pastor Al is a Baptist preacher, an author, a podcaster, a husband, and a father of four. He holds a Master of Divinity from the Taylor Seminary in Edmonton, Alberta. He holds a Bachelor of Religion from the North American Baptist College, also in Edmonton, Alberta. Pastor Al is 43 years old and he's been preaching for more than a decade now. In my previous podcasts, I often mention and make reference to our society's lack of morality. And I feel that a pastor can bring a modern approach to some of the concepts that Christianity teaches. The stories contained in the Bible are more than stories. They contain codes of conduct and morality that we seem to have forgotten. During the podcast, we touch on concepts like self-growth, sacrifice, believing in something greater than yourself, how working on being a better person will encourage the people around you to do the same. And don't worry, Pastor Al is not trying to convert you. Or is he? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or am I? <laughs> I just thought it would be a great podcast to sit down and discuss with a pastor as always, you can find me, Nico Lagan, on Facebook, Instagram, and Rumble. You can also find the podcast at Podcast RJL on Facebook and Instagram. All the previous podcast episodes can be found on rjlp.net slash episodes. Peace! And we are on new episode of the Relax Just Love podcast. I finally found a pastor that wants to talk to me. I've been wanting to do that for, well, since the beginning of the podcast. Or for almost five months, I've been looking for someone to speak to me. We have Pastor Al with us. What's going on? Hey, man. Uh, it's funny that you say that I, to me, pastor, you can't shut up pastors. I don't know. You, you just been asking the wrong ones. Well, you know, it's like I was telling you, you need to find, I need to find, I wanted to find somebody that would be, uh, I don't want to sound disrespectful by saying that, but somebody that was older, like I wanted to have somebody that was still a bit younger in age. I think, I don't know, it, it might be my misunderstanding, but I think there might be a small gap between the old, um, the older style of preaching. Is that the, the, the correct term, preaching? Well, I, I think I know what you're trying to say is that it's, you know, you, you don't want a noob because they don't know what they're talking about. You don't want anybody who doesn't even know how to access a podcast. Somewhere in the middle, there's a sweet spot where you got someone who has some experience, but can also uh, be fairly relatable because they've still lived in, the, uh, lived in the modern world. Relatable is the exact word I was talking about. And not only are you right in the sweet spot, but you do run your own podcast on top of that. So that makes it even more interesting. 
Well, at least it means I have a microphone. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So let me ask you this. How in the world that we live in in 2020 or 2021 or 2019, let's talk about the past few years, how is it to be a pastor? If we're talking pandemic life? No, no. I'm just talking as somebody that talks about Christianity in the modern world or the, okay. how, did we, how did we call it last time when we spoke is the pre 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 modern? No, post well, post modern. Post post modern. Yeah. As yeah. we're beyond post modern. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go back to, you know, modernism, which, you know, you can back up what 70 years or something like that, maybe a hundred years, you've got the sort of the framework in, in modernist thinking where there is truth. We're pursuing it. Right. That's the idea. So let's talk about, you know, even after the Renaissance, we're talking, you know, science, you know, let's give it to science, theologians, philosophers, we're all looking for an answer. And everybody thinks that there's an answer. Uh, and we can argue about that because we know that if someone comes up with the truth or comes up with something that they can prove, boom, okay, there's the answer, write it down. Postmodernism, you end up with the, uh, the loss of the belief that there is such a thing as an answer. Right. So the answer went from something external that you go and find to something internal that you feel. Uh, and therefore, if your feelings are dictating how the truth works, if your feelings dictate, you know, how um, who God is, what the foundations of your worldview is, how you're to treat people, how you're to relate to others, if that's if that's malleable and changeable, depending on your uh, your feelings, well, that's really hard to talk to when you come from a perspective of there is a God, God has expectations, God ha is a creator, he is the king, there is something called truth, there is a heaven, there is a hell, the, all these foundational, you know, uh, things become very even offensive to a postmodern, post-postmodern uh, mindset, because they the idea of truth itself, that anybody would claim to have a truth that overarches others, is uh, it's almost perceived as an attack. So it becomes really hard. You talk about being a preacher. Um, it To stand up on Sunday morning as a preacher means for me to say, this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to tell you what uh, the Bible says, which is the Word of God, which is to be, we are to be under. In other words, here is some truth. Conform your life to it. Uh, but to try to, get that into people's heads, get that into their hearts, make it real. It's become uh, a lot more jumps to get people to the place where they're willing to even listen to uh, that kind of message because they don't want anything to do with authority. They don't want anything to do with, uh, you know, uh, outside perspectives that are, are singular as in, you know, one way, my way kind of thing. It's, it's very different in the culture right now to try to, to try to preach truth because they don't believe in it. Is that what you think the, um, I don't want to say the issue, but do you think that's what's going on right now? That's what people just don't want to listen because they don't believe that there's, uh, if I can use the term, ultimate truth? I think that's a huge uh, part of why our society is the way it is or is going the direction it's going is because we had this presumption as a society that, you know, we're built upon some fundamental beliefs. 
like, for example, there is such a thing as right. There is such a thing as wrong. The fundamental belief that families, uh, father, mother, children are foundational to society. The idea that a functioning, healthy society has not only laws, but people to enforce those laws, that there is a value to um, standing under a mentor, standing under an elder, listening to your seniors because they are wise and we value wisdom. All those kind of concepts are now um, borderline offensive to people because it means that their opinion could be wrong, their feelings might need to change their ideas might need to be adapted, you know, and they might need education they don't have, which is um, something that a lot of people in, in my opinion, don't want to hear. It's quite interesting to, because I agree. I'll be honest with you. I do agree that I, I strongly believe that you're absolutely right about what you're saying. The, the thing I found very, I find very puzzling is you just touched on it. How can you find something offensive because it proves you? Maybe I don't know if I want to say prove you wrong, but it shows you that there might be another way, a better way. I don't understand how that can be seen as a bad thing when human beings are supposed to grow. Like, what's the point of getting older if you don't, if your your views on the world don't change? Well, yeah, but I think it depends on how how fundamental it is to you as a person, how 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 much it reflects your core, you know. Because if you say, you know, I have a uh, I make spaghetti like this, and someone comes across and says, well, I think you should do it like this because that would make it better. Well, it's it's not going to get offended. You're not going to tell that person to get lost. You're not going to you know launch a website and and cancel them. <laughs> but if you walk up to somebody and say, I have an opinion about your sexuality, or I have an opinion about your habits or I have an opinion about your marriage or I have an opinion about what you put into your body, you know, and what you're doing is wrong. Well, suddenly that becomes so much more personal, so much more uh, foundational to their life that it's rocking more of their core. And it requires a hefty dose of humility and uh, to be able to listen to that kind of uh, correction. How would you, in a situation like think about your average 20 year old right now, how would you approach such a person to, uh, as a pastor, to try to make them listen to the word of God or to come to church on Sunday, even just to try it once? How do you approach the conversation with somebody, with our youth right now? It has to be from the perspective of, is it worth it? It does, is it, is there a change that happens? It does it have a, a practical helping value or for that matter, uh, is there something that is happening in society or in my family, in my life, in my relationships that will change and get better because of this? And that's the difficult part when it comes to preaching the gospel, right? So if you, you the gospel of Mark, was written to uh, a Roman society, right? Mm -hmm. So Matthew was written to Jews. Uh, Luke was written to, uh, to Christians and, and to, uh, to sort of a, a cross, you know, across the realm. But, but Mark was specifically written to Romans. Now, they were people of action. 
And so if you read the book of Romans, it's Jesus is moving fast and he's going places and things are happening immediately and he's doing miracles and he's confronting people and just a lot of action because uh, that's what the Romans responded to. They wanted to see, okay, fine, you, you know, I don't care about your theology. What's going to happen if I follow this guy? What's he like? What does he do? And I think in the same way, our society today is asking the same question. You look at somebody who's, whether they're 14 all the way up to, to basically 30 at this point, they're asking the question, you know, I see my world, my world is a mess. Uh, the leaders are a mess. The media is a mess. I don't know who to believe. I don't know who to trust. I, uh, the, the earth itself is melting. The, uh, the foundational um, which is a word I keep using, but I'm going to keep using it. But the foundational structures are no longer there. And so they feel like they're they're trying to you know swim constantly and they have nowhere to put their feet. So to be able to go, this belief, this religion, this God, this Christ actually has a practical, a real, a tangible, a meaningful effect on you, your family, your relationships, your society. I think that's the place it starts. And so, which means you back it all the way up to relationship. So when you walk up to somebody and you're saying, you know, you don't start with, hey, you're wrong and dumb and a pagan. You start with, uh, here is what has happened to me. Here is the effect it had on me. And I believe that you would do well to meet the person I met. Right. So the way and I'm just going to reiterate what you just said, just to make sure I understood you. So basically what you're saying or what I heard is you there needs to be or there's often needs to be a situation that's probably developing for somebody to be ready to listen. Well, like that's like need, it with anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you you walk into an AA meeting, they're going to say, so what are you doing here? And if you're like, well, I'm just sort of interested, whatever, they're going to be like, full, forget mm -hmm. it, don't come. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you have to recognize you have a problem, you want it fixed before they're going to engage with you, right? Uh, if you are beating around the bush, you're not too sure, maybe you just want to cut down a little on whether or not you want to, you know, it, that's not what we're for here, you know, says AA. I think in the same way, a person who has hit, you know, rock bottom or has it has reached the end of their rope, has reached the end of their answers, can no longer come up with excuses, has has looked for a million other places to find truth, find uh, right, find help, find strength, and it's all coming up short. That's the kind of person that's going to ask those big questions. The, the downside these days is that we don't really have a bottom to hit in Canada. The, there's there's this belief that we should protect everyone from hitting bottoms, so mm. we can't we can't call them out. Like for example, someone is, you know, say they get addicted to to drugs. Mm -hmm. The it used to be, you know, what being addicted to drugs is bad. You should not be addicted to drugs, and you should go get help because uh, what you're doing is not only morally wrong but killing you, right? The the perspective has now changed to your decisions that you're making might not bring you the most joy. You know, you don't have, uh, if it's a problem for you and you're not able to handle it right now, or if it's, uh, if your addiction or, or the, these drugs are, you know, causing 
you to not achieve your full meaning, whatever, you know, it's a it kind of, it's a, it's an illness. It's not really your fault. It's a, it's a sickness. So we need to affirm that we're not judging you. You know, all that kind of stuff actually ends up becoming such an impediment to growth, uh, such an, an impediment to change. Uh, same with like a job. If in Canada, you can quit your job. You can tell your job to get lost. You can not work. You can, uh, choose to uh, just be a deadbeat. And if you play the government game right, they'll pay your bills. They mm. will give you a home. They will, you know, subsidize whatever you want. They'll, they'll send you to school. They'll spend, you know, $25,000 in taxpayer money to send you for school and you don't even have to pass. And it's, it's not healthy for a, a human being to not have consequences to their actions. And I think it's when those consequences start to stack up, start to get to the point where you realize that you are not strong enough. You're not big enough. The answers in this world are not big enough to be able to solve this massive issue that you start looking into the supernatural. I, I like the word that you use consequences, because that's another thing I strongly agree with. Like I, We're so um, pampered. We pamper everything around us. It seems like everything has a protection, everything like it seems like we have in order for someone to succeed, they need to fail. And it looks like we're taking that component away. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you never fail, you never learn to fail because it's a skill to have. You need to understand how to fail because it's well, going to happen. And I know I sound like a fuddy duddy because. Oh, what? Uh, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> An old person with, 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 you know, old time thinking. A funny How old are you, by the way, just so people know? I'm 43. Yeah, so you're not that old. No, I'm not. Oh, I'm not. I'm old enough. I'm old enough. It was about five years ago that people started saying, oh, your pastor's so young. That stopped about five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so... <laughs> it's well, I don't say, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a fuddy-duddy, but the... <laughs> The society that only rewards and even rewards incompetence or uh, lack of effort is a society that has created a bunch of people that believe that they are of more value than they really are uh, because they've been rewarded nonstop. Uh, I think of the person who, you know, like the, the, the classic example is, you know, the trophies that are handed out for participation, the trophies that are handed out. If you just show up, you know, everybody gets acknowledged. Everybody gets trophy. Now, now let me, let me back up and say this. When you were a kid and when I was a kid and you back up even 50 years before that, it was worse. If you weren't a winner, you could face abuse. If you weren't, if you weren't a winner, you were a loser. Nobody wanted to hang out with the losers. Nobody wanted to be part of that. And the pressure was so high to be a success, a financial success, a sports success or whatever, people freaking out. You know, we have come so far as a society for us to be able to say, we acknowledge that you are different. We acknowledge you have different skills. We acknowledge this isn't one of them. We acknowledge that you can, uh, that your presence is valuable. We're all here because we want to have fun. It's not, we're not the, you know, we're not the NHL. We're just glad you're here. Those are all good things that have been added to society. And I'm thankful for them. I think the cost has been that once we have, you know, we, we've moved the, the, the dial too far. We've moved it from 
you know, we're going to berate the players into oblivion, beat them senseless until they only think about the sport and only think about victory until we've moved it all the way back to victory doesn't matter. Everybody's a victor. there, There is no consequences to not playing well. And I think it's a natural thing for us to move it too far, but I think that ends up becoming a detriment to our kids and to everyone, every, our whole society. We're very good at extremes. It really seems as human beings, we uh, we're very good at not finding gray areas to either be a complete one side or complete other when forgetting that normally you want to be more in the center when it comes to opinions, right? Opinions are way to live. Like what what you're talking about now, you don't want to punish your kid for not winning, but you don't necessarily want to be the type of parent that's going to reward them for failing. Right, exactly. Uh, and I, but I think that extremity is far more simple, right? Hmm. So if if you're not an educated person, if you're this is the downside of of the more education and experience you have, the more towards the middle you end up thinking, because mm-hmm. extremity is simple taking an idea and just condensing it down to its most emotional, its most simplistic, its most, uh, you know, black and white allows a simple brain to be able to uh, process it. And then you can put it away and say, this is my opinion. I don't have to think anymore. Uh, It's the, but when you start becoming educated about it, you start having more experiences with it. You start meeting people that have the opposite opinion and listening that, that they're maybe not idiots. They might have a point. Suddenly things become far more uncomfortable. And people, I don't think people like being in the place where they don't feel settled in their opinion. They don't feel settled in what they do. And so they stay in their little echo chamber. They only watch their favorite news source. They only read their favorite blog. They only talk to their favorite people. They only listen to the side that tells them what they want to hear. Because admitting that the other side has value, has a good point, and I might need to change it's so hard. It's not only complicated, it's humbling and it can be uh, devastating to have to completely uproot your entire life because you got it wrong. And, you know, you can be simple. It could be politics. That could be your, uh, how you structure your marriage, how you raise your kids. It could be the the job that you picked or the way that you use your money. Like any of the big, big fundamental things uh, can, you could have complete belief that you were doing it right and as soon as you crack open the door to say well what do other people think and you discover that your opinion wasn't necessarily the best one it can be pretty tough pretty tough it's humbling that's for sure i think the i think the portion of ego plays a big 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 role in not wanting to admit that you're wrong that you've made mistakes that it's okay like there can't be my opinion, there cannot be any growth if there's not mistakes, if there's not people there to show you or to make you understand that you're wrong. And it's okay and to be wrong. I've been wrong so many times in my life, right? And I'm well, sure you how have too. How else are you going to learn? But if everybody in society is telling me I'm right no matter what, mm. my feelings are always right, my opinions are always valid, my ideas are always good. I'm special. I can be whatever I want. There are no limitations on me and everyone should just bend to my whim because I am special. And uh, then you're causing such a detriment to that society and to those people. Because how do you strive if you've already achieved 
right? Absolutely. How I, I agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. It's, it's very baffling to me. I just don't, the issue that, or the problematic that I see is how to make people understand. I'll give you an example. The, the podcast that you're on right now, in my head, when I first started it, I thought that the people that I would have impact on would be between 18 to 35. That was my audience target. Mm-hmm. For the past four months I've been doing, I spent thousands of dollars on marketing and turns out that the audience is 35 to 55, 90% male. This is the audience. So the message and after seeing those results, and I can tell you, I, I keep on doing, I do multiple campaigns every week on Facebook and on Instagram. And I spoke to a guy that I know that's in his early 20s. I asked him to listen to some podcasts. He's like, your podcasts are great, but it's not the type of stuff that the people like my age will listen because we're not ready mm-hmm. to hear. Because I always talk about morality. I always talk about sacrifices. I always talk about what it is to, to be successful in life, what it takes, right? It's yeah. how do you explain, how do you take, because that's the problem. That's the puzzle that I haven't figured out is how do you take somebody in their early 20s, like let's say before 35, before 30, how to get to them in a way that they understand that it's for their own good. And I'm not just talking about religion as a whole. I'm just talking about the message that you're speaking no, I, about, right? I get you. I and to be honest, it's something that the Christian church, the I should say the evangelical church in Western society is struggling with severely because so it's not just me. <laughs> no, no. Because, okay. What's happened is you, okay. You have this conservative fundamental, you know, like really kind of, you know, mainline Baptist, you know, the stuff that people believe evangelical straight across the board churches that don't want to compromise the, their, their, the word of God. They, they want to do it right. Well, they're having a hard time because they are perceived as sticks in the mud. They're perceived as unable to change. Their music isn't uh, isn't uh, modern. Their concepts are ancient, and so the the younger people don't want to go to that because the ideas are they don't sound new. And quite frankly, the people that are per, per, projecting these ideas in these churches aren't projecting new ideas. They're they're talking about the old old story. So the the other churches have decided, well, the way to go about it better is to compromise. We'll change the story. Uh, people don't like being told that there is sin and what they're doing is wrong. Okay, we're going to start pushing the idea of sin out the window. People don't like being told there's only one way to God. There's only one way of salvation. We're going to start talking about many different ways of salvation and your own journey. People don't like being told there is one truth and it's God's truth. We're going to start talking about your truth and discovering your truth. And suddenly, you know, once we make these compromises, people will start becoming more uh, interested in what we're saying. We'll go into the, you know, we'll cancel church. We'll go into the community. We'll rake lawns. We'll, we'll feed the poor instead of having service on Sundays. And, and it generates some momentum. But in the last five years, what they've learned is that these churches, they grew because suddenly, you know, it, they were kind of feeding the, uh, the, the young people what they thought they wanted. But because it became foundationless, they left. Mm-hmm. 
they, so they walked in like, you guys seem really hot to try. You're loving your neighbor. You're, you know, you, you're affirming what I'd say. You're, you know, when I bring in my, you know, my friend who's doing a bunch of stuff that you, you, the church normally doesn't like, they seem accepted. You're not telling them off. You, they, they, you're not trying to tell them to get fixed. This is great. So they sit there and they listen to the modern music and they watch all the modern, uh, you know, video stuff and they listen to the very entertaining pastor but at no point have they been told about their sin problem about the danger of hell about the idea of having to submit themselves to god god's truth to the gospel about why jesus went to the cross and because they haven't been told any of that stuff suddenly they're sitting going well i can get all this stuff anywhere you know if i want to feed feed my neighbor well i can go to go to you know a million other outside groups and they work during the year and they quite frankly they do it better if i want to be told that i'm great and i don't need to change well i can get that from anywhere so why would i come to church because i can get better music from you know the radio or from youtube i can get better speaking from you know dave Chappelle and any of the people the comedians on on netflix i can get better you know service from joining some really big and uh, massive uh, uh group so why would i come to church what, because if our message is identical yeah. to them, but but somehow worse, then of course they're not going to stay, and it didn't work. So that's why that's the, the sticky part that that churches are having right now. We have this this absolute outflow of of young people, and the church is becoming more and more and more old, a bunch of old people. So how so? Do you think that having somewhat of an in between would be the solution? And what I mean by that is. Let's say the, let's call them outreach programs where you actually, as you said, you feed the poor, you rake lawns, you, you do things in your community. Cause we, I think we can both agree that the, the, one of the biggest impact that people can have is on their direct community. And then it grows from there. Um, if you do outreach programs within your community where you show younger people that it's good to help others. It's good to, you know, the morality behind the, 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 I don't want to be disrespectful by calling um, the Bible, the stories of the Bible, but there's a, there's a very big morality that is transpiring through everything that you read in the Bible. So if you teach those moralities through outreach program, for example, and then once they start attending church, you would, go into the details of what you're talking about, about the word of God, the gospels. Do you think that would be a way to get new younger blood? If I can say it that way. Okay. So you just caught up to the evangelical church in the eighties. Okay. Oh, so, I'm just 40 yeah. years behind. That's not bad. So, and this is exactly what the church, and even today, if you look at some of the churches that are just trying to catch on to this thing that was happening in the eighties and nineties is this is yeah. where we get the make the mega church movement. <laughs> this idea of if we can become the one-stop shop for, you know, all the things that a person wants, you yeah. know, we can have the, we can have the Starbucks upstairs. We can have the library. We can have an addictions, uh, you know, area. We can, we can baptize them here. We can put them in class here. We can have a nursery here. We can, you know, have a, a hotel attached. We can have a gym attached. We can, you know, if we can do all that, then once we get all these people in because they like our gym and they like our nursery and they like our, yeah. you know, our, then maybe we can sneak the gospel in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But what happened, uh, Willow Creek is the biggest church that did this. They had, I think it was like 45,000 people coming to church or something like a huge, wow. huge, huge church. Uh, and 
they did a, an assessment, of, I think it was about 10 years ago, where they said, okay, so are our people Christians? You know, <laughs> is, are any of these people Christians? <laughs> and what they found was that people hadn't got past what they called Christianity 101. In other mm-hmm. words, they got the basic. They went, okay, so sin is a thing. Jesus went to the cross. And if I believe that he died on the cross for my sin, that I'm saved, done. And that's as far as they got. And they just hit the repeat button. And it was basically like all these people were in kindergarten and just repeating kindergarten for years and years and years and years. Because the idea of going, okay, maybe church isn't about the coffee shop and it's not about uh, the, you know, the gym. It's maybe it's, maybe it's going to require sacrifice. Maybe it's going to require you making life change. Maybe God's going to ask you to do some stuff that it's uncomfortable. Maybe there's some ministry out there where you're going to have to not only get, but you're going to have to give. Uh, those kind of messages aren't popular, so they weren't being pushed. So in answer to your question, I sat down uh, about uh, 15, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and I asked the question, what is God going to evaluate me and the church on? What, what are the areas that if when we get to heaven and are standing before God, God will go, okay, here's, here's your report card. This is how you did, right? Uh, if And I came down to four areas, worship, discipleship, outreach, and fellowship. Those are the four key areas that are going to create a good Christian, a good person, a good uh, church, uh, worship, as in they're a person who submits themselves to God. They worship in their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, their body, their lifestyle is an act of worship to God. They find joy in the presence of God. Discipleship. In other words, they have humbled themselves to a mentor, to an elder. They put themselves under the Bible. They put themselves as a student of the Bible, and they are actively uh, pursuing that truth, changing their mind. The next is outreach. In other words, now that they've worshipped, they've met God, they've experienced God, and they've learned about Him, they are moving to a place where they, their heart is changed. Their heart is becoming like God, like Christ. And so they move out to the hurting, out to the needy, out to the places they, to, that require the presence of God, the light of God, that, are, that need food and water and help and truth and, and are afraid, you know, places that uh, are, are uncomfortable. So they move on to outreach. And then the only way that they're going to survive is through fellowship. In other words, you can't do this alone. You're not designed to do this alone. The very first thing that God says was bad in the world was that man was alone. And therefore, we're not designed to be alone. So there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a a monk that wanders off into the desert and becomes better Christian. We are designed to be in fellowship. And therefore, if we can do all four of those things, we create an environment that is worshipful. We create an environment that builds disciples, as in builds people that are like Jesus and, and love the word, that they're moving, they're actually out doing outreach, they're taking care of people, they're loving people, they are teaching them how to use their money, teaching them how to get off of whatever. They're, they're, they're using their gifts and skills, their abilities for others, and they're fellowshipping, as in they're taking care of one another. They are united together. They are a family you've created an environment that there's no human being in history that would not be attracted to. Well, um, how, how would you, where does it start? Does it start at home? 
Does it start at school? Does it start um, with the... It has to start somewhere. Where would you say this starts? Everything starts in the concentric circles and the begin in the beginning of every circle, the center of the ripple is always you. You will not change society. You cannot change your family. <clears throat> you cannot change your wife. You cannot change your kids. You're not going to change your church. You're not going to change your workplace. You have to work on you. You have to get right with God. You have to get right with yourself. You have to figure out what your major issues are. You have to figure out what ways that you are lacking and what education you need and what help you need. You need to humble yourself to the point where you go, I am broken. I am wrong. I am afraid. I don't have enough. I need to change. And therefore, I'm going to submit myself to someone else. And that someone else is Jesus. I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to listen to him. He is going to be my my master, my guide, my my leader, my rabbi, my teacher. And then as I humble myself to him, as I change myself, work on myself, I get to become more sacrificial. I get to become more forgiving. I get to uh, overlook a bunch of other people's sin. I get to step into the hard place. I get to be the one who who takes upon myself the difficulties of the relationship, the difficulties of work to be in a place I don't want to be because now your shoulders are being supported by God and you're suddenly able to do those things you could never do before because you have built a strength inside of you and God has built a strength inside of you you never had. It has to start with you. So so from there, by association, you will have an impact on people around you. I, I mean, everybody has this experience, right? You, everybody knows somebody mm-hmm. that when they look at them, they're just different. Their, their life is different. Their life is attractive. Their life is, it has a smell to it that when you, when they walk by and you see them, you, you're attracted. It's like, it's like if a plate of cookies is in the other room and you feel like you need to go into the other room, right? Or someone's baking a pie and suddenly the whole room is just a better place to be because it smells like pie. That person brings that smell with them wherever they go. And the question you ask yourself is, okay, what makes them different? What makes their, their aura, their presence, their, their uh, personality, so different than everyone else's. And I bet if you dig down, you're going to find a person who has been working hard on themselves because they're not blaming others. They're not pushing out their problems to others. They're not blaming society. They're not blaming their education. They're not blaming their upbringing. They're not, they're not uh, trying to medicate all their problems away. They're not trying to drink all their problems away. They're not trying to ignore them. They don't entertain themselves into oblivion. They have looked inward to themselves and they have went, there is something I, that needs to be done. And they have found a strength beyond themselves to build upon. That's why they're different. Oh, so let me ask you this. You, you, you're making me think of something. The, what do you think about meditation when it comes to your faith? Do you, do, are you someone, uh, do you guys call it? Sorry, you guys, that sounds bad, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, as I'm pointing you by the finger, but that, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, the, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think, what do you call meditation? Because to me, when you say inward, I spend a lot of time, I do it on the daily basis, where I just sit in silence and enjoy the present moment. But my biggest revelations 
always come from those moments. Like they yep. always come when I am with myself and there's nobody else there to distract me. It is me, simply me. And it's hard to lie to yourself when you're there alone, right? Yeah. Our, our world is poisoned with noise. It, the the vapor of noise that is around us is overstimulation so it's so poisonous to our souls and so uh you when it comes to meditation christian meditation uh is a uh you'd call it a filling okay so eastern meditation in its definition and mindfulness which is what you were kind of talking about before mindfulness, mindfulness exactly mindfulness is comes from sort of a changing a, an adaptation from uh eastern a religious philosophy of uh, meditation, which is sort of an emptying of yourself. In other words, grounding yourself in the present moment and removing from yourself all those feelings that you're feeling and all the ideas that you're thinking and trying to trying to simplify your thoughts, simplify your breathing, bring it all down, and an emptying of self. Okay, so that's the that's the general understanding of of Eastern meditation. That's what most people think of, where they try to achieve nirvana. Once you nirvana is the perfect emptying of self right? You're not, you don't even exist anymore. It's yep. just you, the universe that's inside of you. So Christian meditation is the opposite of that. Okay. Christian meditation is a filling. In other words, what we're saying is all the noise and all the thoughts and all the ideas and all the, uh, uh, the things that are bugging me right now, all the insanity that is pushing in through my brain and all the worries that I have and all the confusion that I have, uh, I need it to be pushed out, not removed, pushed out. And so I will fill it with the word of God, songs to God, thoughts about God, and then a meditation or a, a, a pondering of the things of God. Uh, so it's a focus. So in other words, the, the ancient mystics would have, would have grabbed like a phrase, uh, our father, and they would have, they will chew on that term, our father. They'll repeat it in their head. They'll think about what it means to be a father. They will establish in their brain the concept of God as father. What does our mean? Why is it plural? Father, what does it mean? Who is a father? What is a good father? What does a religious father look like? What does a godly father look like? What's a bad father look like? That meditation is the kind of meditation that Christians are meant to do. And that's why we spend so much time in the word of God. That's why we spend so much time with the word, with the Bible, because it is the, 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 the document that's, it's the, the fodder, it's the food that we're trying to fill up with. Very, very interesting. I never, never thought about it that way. That is for some very enlightening conversation, sir. Well, think about addiction. Okay. If you think about addiction, if you've ever gone through addictions counseling, uh, you're told there's no such thing as stopping. <laughs> there's only replacing, right? You mm -hmm. can't just all of a sudden stop smoking. You can't stop drinking, stop smoking weed. You can't, you can't just stop and decide you're not going to do it anymore. You have to replace it. The only way you're going to become successful in your, uh, in changing your lifestyle is to add value to it not subtract because the reason you started uh, isn't going to change. And if you find that you've just created a void in your life, it's going to get filled either by something the same or worse. So you have to replace it. And so they'll tell you to go replace it with, you know, racquetball, chewing bubble gum, 
uh, talking to a friend, going for a walk, going for a swim, going to work out. Because if you try to just empty, you're setting yourself up for failure. But if you change and you create something better in that place, now you're becoming more healthy. Now you're becoming more whole. So instead of doing something that's damageable to you, you replace it with something that is good for you. That's basically what I'm hearing. Yeah. And when it comes to meditation, that's exactly what uh, Christians are supposed to be doing is that we take our thoughts, which are going to be, you know, all over the map and they're going to be affected by others. And, you know, like, and we're going to try to filter them through the word of God, filter them through the the presence of God, listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to what the Bible has to say and replace our fears, our hangups, our anxieties, our, our worries with the truth of God. Like you're going to hear in your head, you're worthless. Nobody likes you. If you were gone, nobody would care. Be alone. Sit. You all. You deserve it. Just sit there, eat the crap, watch Netflix. Nobody cares that you exist, and that is going to roll around your head. Now, if you try to do Eastern meditation, if you try to be mindful about that, and you try to just kind of remove those thoughts, it's not going to work. However. If you go to the word of God and you hear, you are valuable if you've done nothing, your existence as a human being, you are, you are the image of God as a human being. You have value. You also have purpose. You have been put on this earth for a reason and you are not alone. Everywhere you go, God is with you. God will move with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There is a foundation that you can stand on and it's, it's not going to move. There's nothing that's going to change it. It will continue until eternity that it will not change. God's word will not change. And you have a purpose in this world that is beyond just sitting down and and whatever. You have to discover it and God will show it to you. Well, if you've replaced those bad thoughts with those good thoughts, suddenly you've created a a completely different mindset. Right? Yes. Yes. It's, uh, I gotta say, I'm, uh, I'm really, really happy I somehow found you to speak to. It is a very, very, very enlightening conversation. I'm um, happy to help. You know, I, I told you this before. I had a feeling this would go uh, similar to how it's going right now. We've been going at it for like, what, 40, a bit more than 40 minutes, and it seems we could probably go for three hours. Um, we haven't even got to as long as one of my sermons are. So, yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I'd like to do is to actually have you on like multiple times. I'd like to carry this conversation because it seems like you and I can speak for a very long time. And I think there's sure. a lot of there's a lot of um, things that that are worth listening to. Like you can tell that you've been preaching for a while. Like you, you know your subject, you're very good at delivering your ideas. So it's very, very interesting to listen to you. I I have two distinct advantages. One is, is an education and a passion for the word, which I, I love the Bible and I love learning it. But the other side of it is is that I've been through a lot. And so the suffering that I've had in my life and the, the, the hurting that I've had in my life has made it so that I have to the, the the stuff that I'm saying has to be true. It, It can't be just good ideas. It can't be just, you know, philosophies that I might think about or can drop when I feel like it. It has to be the air I breathe and there is truth 
to not just truth to it, but it is the truth. Uh, and if, if it's not, then I need to find something else because the suffering I've been through has been so, so difficult that it would have, uh, refined as in a fire, uh, all of the stuff that is, is fake and worthless that, and has allowed the gold to, to be brought out and the dross to fall away. So that's I mean, you, what you're hearing is someone who is, who's had to make it real, who's had to realize that uh, what's real, what's fake, what's going to work, what's not. So if in, in, in closing, well, I never thought I'd use that word with you, but in closing. <laughs> if you give me a benediction, then I'll be right, right at home. Well, you know, I got to say, I would love, because you touched on the word sacrifice. You touched on, uh, you've dealt with a lot in your past, in your life. I'd love to, I don't know if that's things you share, but I'd like next time we speak to, to speak about it, if you're comfortable doing it, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. I see, I see no reason to hide and remove uh, the things that, gifts that God has given me in the arenas of suffering. So I... Since this is the first time you and I speak, it's our first podcast together. I always ask the same question and I never tell those, uh, the people I speak to what the question is because I don't want them to be prepared. Um, if you, if you could speak to your 14 year old self, what would you tell that, that teenager? I would tell him uh, it's going to get better. It sucks right now. It's going to get better, but don't be alone. Everything in you is going to try to pull you into the vacuum, into the void. You're going to try You're gonna, because of what you've been through. You have, you, you're starting to hate people. You're, you're avoiding people. You're lying to people. You are avoiding interaction and you are going to create your turn into a very lonely, miserable, angry young man. And I don't want that for you. I I want you to be someone who finds joy in people. And I know it's a risk and I know it's dangerous. I know you've been hurt a lot of times, but find the courage to just find one person that you give your trust to tell somebody because all the stuff inside of you needs to come out. Otherwise it's going to come out in a poisonous way and you're going to hurt yourself and someone else. So man, uh, I need you. I need you to not, not fall into the void. I need you to go find someone. (laughs) And I'm not laughing at you. I'm sorry. I did not expect this conversation to go there. That's a, It's been a pleasure. I don't know how else to describe this. This has been a pleasure. I'm very, very, um, I'm very grateful that you took the time. I'm, I hope that you want to do this again because I think, I think this has, you have a lot of value in what you say. And I think people need to hear it the well, way you're delivering you it. Oh, it's, it's one of many, I hope. Yeah, I'm, I'm wide open. And, uh, if your listeners, if your listeners are out there, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to run out of saliva. I started to get all emotional. Uh, 
the uh, but if your listeners are out there and uh, they have any questions or something, just send uh, send Nick your questions, send Nick your your comments and stuff, and I'll be happy to respond to those too. Oh, plug yourself in, plug your podcast in. Are you kidding me? Just right. plug what you have to plug. <clears throat> All right, man. Uh, <laughs> I, hey, I was I was holding back, you know. Mm. The uh, so I'm if all you go- about collaboration. There you oh, go, no, man. no, please go, please go for it. Plug yourself in. Head to uh, artofthechristianninja.com, artofthechristianninja.com. You go over there, you're going to find every link I have. You're going to find the books I've written. You're going to find the uh, podcasts that I do. You're going to find sermons that I've written. You're going to find book reviews I've written. Everything is on artofthechristianninja.com. Now, Nick, I, I got to remind you, uh, there was a question that your friend told me to, told me to answer. So you better... Uh, <laughs> That one. <laughs> and funny enough is that if you guys hear some uh, some noise in the background he just showed up so the, the <laughs> qu- is, so as a reminder he's he's just showing up so yes i will ask the question as somebody and i'm not necessarily speaking about myself because i do have all the bibles i do read them it's as somebody that that let let's say that i we get some people that listen to this podcast they're very intrigued by what you have to say, by what you said, but they look at a Bible that's 1,200, 1,300 pages long. It's, it, it can be pretty, pretty, um, how could I say? Not, I don't want to say daunting. scary. It's yeah, daunting. Yeah, it is a great word. So yeah. the question my friend wanted me to ask you is, what would you recommend as material or maybe another book that could actually be started with to see if the Bible is the next, the next step. All right. Uh, so the first thing I would say is this, you're not alone. Everybody who's ever wanted to sit down and read the Bible has done the same thing. They go and they open up to the book of Genesis. They found it really, really interesting, a little bit confusing. They get to the beginning of Exodus. They're like, that's kind of weird. And then by the time they get to the middle of Exodus, they quit because it feels like they're trudging uphill in molasses through nails and they quit. So you're not alone. It is a, it's an interesting book uh, because it's not just a storybook. It's got parts that are a dictionary. It's got parts that are encyclopedia. It's got parts that are just numbers and spreadsheets. It got, it's got parts that are just laws written in a list. It's got parts that are uh, uh, letters to other people. So yeah, if you don't understand what you're reading and you don't understand the genre of what you're reading, you're going to get confused. So in answer to your question, I would, I'm going to point you two places. First is, I'm going to plug my own book. It's called Foundations. You can get it on my website and it's free. So you don't got to pay for it. Uh, it's called Foundations. And what it is, it's basically the introduction to what a Christian needs knows needs to know. Uh, the bare bones, uh, the very, very bottom end. So go read my book called The Foundations. And if you want a book by a, you know, like a famous author, uh, to kind of understand the philosophy of Christianity, where we come from, our worldview. I don't think you could find a better one than Purpose Driven Life. I, I'm a huge fan of Purpose Driven Life. I wouldn't steer you towards like theology books. I wouldn't steer you to, you know, where did the Bible come from 101. Uh, I think what you need first is to understand who God is, why, uh, what your life is all about, and and how it looks, uh, how you can create a thirst within you for more of him. And then it'll become self-perpetuating. So uh, Purpose Driven Life uh, by Rick Warren would be the, uh, the the next one I'd say. But Go check out mine. It's free on my website and then uh, read Purpose Driven Life and then come back and we'll chat. (laughs) I like how you plugged your book in there. That's great. 
Hey, man, I wrote it for a reason. <laughs> so Foundations, do you have a, an actual printed copy? Like, do you sell the book itself? Well, I mean, it's on Amazon and stuff, but I got okay. the, uh, uh, I've got the, uh, the PDF is just free online. I, I saw no reason to, to try to sell something that I wrote for the church, for people who I were yeah. trying to, exactly the people we were talking about, the young people who don't know what church is all about, what God is all about and why we even exist. I, that's who I wrote it for. Uh, and so it's, uh, I'm sure there are, uh, I, I think it'll be helpful. Maybe there's better ones out there, but the, uh, that's the one I wrote. I'll, I'll go check it out. I like to hold the books. I like to see them in my on shelves because it reminds me of when I read it. And sometimes I tend to reread some books that really impacted me. So I'll go check it out on Amazon. I'll uh, I'll go get myself oh, an actual copy. Uh, hopefully, there's a ninja on it with a with a katana sword. Right? That's a different book. I wrote a book called <laughs> Archie Christian Ninja. They got it. You got to go to that one. <laughs> so that's the that's the volume two. That's the second one. It's it's actually a more practical aspect. Uh, yeah, it's it's and it's. I actually worked with a comic book artist on it, uh, and so it's not only got uh, some practical fill in the blank stuff, but it was actually uh, a really cool artist worked with me, and I, it's a really neat, uh, neat book. I really like how it turned out. Well, you know, it's a great thumbnail. Um, we, it's been a pleasure. Um, I, I I'm really looking forward to our next talk. I really appreciate you taking the time and it's it's been absolute it's been great thank you very much thank you so much i really appreciate the invitation